Hi there, thanks for listening in to Season 4, Episode 26 of Heart of Conservation. I'm Lalita Krishnan, bringing you stories from the wild that keep us all connected with our natural world. You can read the show notes for this podcast episode on my blog, Earthy Matters. Today I'm speaking to Sean Akmodi. He is the co-founder and director of Coastal Conservation Foundation and also a key member of Marine Life of Mumbai. He speaks of being a nature photographer in the past tense, but I keep seeing his splendid photographs in social media. Do check them out. Shanak has also worked in the wilderness travel space, where he founded his startup, Nature Nama. Shanak, I've been wanting to have you on Heart of Conservation for so long. Finally, it has happened. So thank you sincerely for making the time and a very warm welcome to you. Thank you, Aida. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, completely. So, Shonak, you know, you studied amphibians, but your work and passion now has taken you to the source, the ocean. So, tell us how that happened. Okay, so I didn't study amphibians. I studied herpetology at uh, Bombay Natural History Society. That was that was in another lifetime, it feels like now. Um, so, I have been going to forests for more than a decade now. And there was a little hesitation whenever I came across a snake. And what I realized was that I would need to know them better. I would need to not have the discomfort, and which is why I wanted to learn more about them. And that is why I studied herpetology. So that's how that happened. Then for a very long time, I, I was associated in one way or the other with the wildlife community. Um, I have been doing photography for a very long time. Uh, I also had uh, a news website called Project Bivan, where I used to share wildlife news that went on for almost six years before I shut it down. After Project Bivan, um, I was also working. I was in the wildlife travel space. That was where my work was. Along with which, um, there was there was a, a whale stranding that had happened in Mumbai. And that was my introduction to the sea. A lot has happened since, and I'm, I'm sure we will have a have that conversation later in the podcast. But uh, that is how I am where I am here today. All right, thanks. Yeah. So it's very interesting to me that you plotted a map of whale strandings. I mean, I'm not sure if this is the first of its kind in India of stranded uh, beached marine life. So why don't you tell us more about this map? Yes. So. Uh, in fact, that is what I was talking about earlier. Uh, in 2000, uh, sorry, in uh, yeah, in 2016, there was a Burudi's whale that had beached in Juhu on Juhu Beach, and I was there, and I spent a considerable amount of time on the beach that night because um, one, out of fascination for seeing a whale for the first time in my life, and two, because there was some crowd control that needed to be done, and I was just helping with that, and. You know, when, when a creature of this size washes ashore, you would expect it to cause, uh, like, you know, to, to be a topic of discussion, um, especially in a community where, um, especially in a community of uh, wildlife enthusiasts and conservationists. But what I realized back then was that beyond the news cycle, that is about 24 hours or 48 hours after that beaching had happened, there was not a blip. I did not hear anything about it in the terrest- uh, in the conservation community, largely the terrestrial conservation community. And that's when I realized that if something like this can happen and go without being noticed, I just wanted to see how often it happens. 
So um, I set up a few alerts. I started following news articles and news stories about whale and dolphin strandings happening across the country, and I started mapping them. Um, I did that for about a year and realized that there was a considerable amount of activity that was happening. What I did not know is that the marine biologist and the marine uh, scientists, uh, scientific researcher community was already mapping this. So clearly, I was not the first one to do it. There was a, there, uh, there's, a, there's a wonderful website that has been uh, documenting uh, sightings and strandings since a very, very long time. Um, it's called the Marine Mammal Research and Conservation Network of India. And the website is marinemammals.in. Um, it's been there since 2008. And there is a database of um, strandings that, that is happening there. But again, like I'm saying, you know, sometimes you sort of, um, there's such an echo chamber when it comes to conservation also, because there's just so much to be done. There's so much happening that within the terrestrial conservation community, talk of anything that's beyond forests and big cats rarely makes a blip. And that is exactly what I was going through. And I was in an echo chamber of my own at that time. And I had no idea that these things existed. So that's how I started mapping it. Um, eventually, I realized that um, it, it, it wasn't really a useful thing that I was doing because this website already had all of that data. But what that did was also sort of inculcate this interest in me to know more about this ecosystem and this habitat that I had no idea existed. It's amazing what's out there and what we don't know about. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, there are apps where citizens uh, can report road kills, for instance, of all the wildlife. I mean, we have around, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, 6,000 uh, kilometers of coastline. So do you think a similar app can be created for marine life, especially for marine life? See, again, so I think the equivalent to road kills for marine life would be strandings. And since this this website already exists, I think it's a great national database. Um, it's it's uh, there are a lot of researchers who are a part of it. There are there are a lot of people who contribute data to it. So I think, and uh, rather than having another app, it would be great if people would contribute to this um, this website. It's not, I mean, no one really owns this data, so to speak. Yeah. But it it does help to keep everything in one place. You know, there is no point. Um, having different silos, so to speak, for mm -hmm. something like this, because it's it's always very helpful if everything is being collated in one place. Correct. So I think this Correct. website would be a great um, place to have instead of an app. Hopefully someday if something happens, then an app can be made for this website, perhaps. I don't know. I mean, that would depend on the people who are in charge. Uh, yeah, like that. I feel they're too many for birds, but you're correct. If it's all in one place, then it would make uh, absolute sense, and uh, accessibility also would be easier for everyone involved. For sure, eBird eBird is a great example of that. You know, I mean, there's so much data that one can get just by visiting eBird. You can search by species, you can search by uh, national park, or even you can search by your own neighborhood and see what all birds are found there or have been documented from there. And it's not like eBird saying that we own this data. You know, it's still uh, the data is still contributed by people, by by citizens, and by enthusiasts and by wildlifers. So I think it's it's, it's great. Something like this already exists. It yeah. makes sense to add more to it. Right. So yeah. uh, CCF's uh, 
flagship project Marine Life for Mumbai, Mumbai has become very popular. So what exactly is the focus here and what citizen science activities uh, do you all conduct? I'd, I'd like to uh, say something, you know, here CCF, that's Coastal Conservation Foundation, came much after MLOM was there. Um, Marine Life of Mumbai, for the first three years of its existence, was a collective. Uh, we were a bunch of people who came together from various backgrounds. And we started working in different capacities, doing different things with the single aim of basically sending out a message to our aim was to do outreach and familiarize the people to a very lesser known side of Mumbai. So outreach, again, was the main objective of the project. So it was started by uh, Pradeep Patade, Abhishek Jamalabad and Siddharth Chakravarti in 2017. And they started conducting shore walks. Uh, it's basically like a nature trail, but on a beach during low tide. So you can see the animals that live there. Along with shore walks, they also started uploading... Um, photographs to social media and that's how a lot of people came to know that you know animals like this live in the city that's where they where they share their uh, natural spaces with that's who they share their natural spaces with and um, that's that's been one of the main aims of uh, MLOM it continues to be one of the main aims but what started happening was that we were collecting so much data because since there were a lot of wildlife photographers even in the group we were constantly taking photos and what we started realizing is that a lot of things that we were photographing were not documented before. So um, we decided to have a, an open access database. So that is the second side of Marine Life of Mumbai. The first being outreach. The second is uh, data gathering. So uh, we have a project on a website called iNaturalist.org. Uh, it's, um, it, it's, a, it's a global um a database of um, enthusiasts, researchers, scientists. I mean, it's, it's a mixed bag of people who are on the website. And what we decided again, like I told you earlier, it is to, instead of having our own database on, hosted on our own website, we started contributing all of our data to that website. So we created a project there called Marine Life of Mumbai and started uploading everything to that. And... Um, we started getting help from across the world, trying to ID things. Um, if not help, we started getting pointers as to how we should click a photograph, what we should look for in an animal to ID it. We got a lot of help from the scientific and the non-scientific community from across the world. And um, that was in, again, I think 2018, at the start of 2018 was when we started uploading our data there. And today we have about, um, I would say more than four and a half thousand observations of about 500 odd species. Uh, just from the Mumbai uh, metropolitan region. So that's that's where we are. So again, the, the uh, um, you asked about the aim of Marine Life Mumbai was. One is to familiarize the people with uh, the marine life of the city. And the second was to document it in a, in a structured way and also have all of this um, data that we've accumulated open access so that anybody could make use of it. Yeah, so the outreach program and the data gathering, the documentation. So do you think this is the secret of MLOM success or what, what do you think? Uh, and what marine life, I mean, you said over 500 species, right? Yes. Tell us about, tell us some of this. Um, see, if you're going to ask me what the secret of MLOM or its success is, I would, I would just flat out say the people. 
after the three of them started MLOM, people started gathering. Some stayed, some didn't. But there was a very strong group of about 13 people. We were all just enamored by our shoreline. We come from various backgrounds. Um, there are editors, there are scientists, there are uh, artists, there are uh, water sports instructors. I come from a travel background. All of us were from various backgrounds, but we were just united by our love for, for our love of marine life and the curiosity that marine life of Mumbai. I mean, we were just curious about the, about the shoreline and that's what brought us all together. Uh, I think for me, that would be the the main reason why we succeeded because everybody was giving it everything they had. And that's how, you know, you end up with something so nice. Right. And uh, if you were to ask me about species, so these are, I would like to clear here that these are not species that have washed ashore dead or stranded like the dolphins and the whales we spoke of earlier. So our work is mainly in the intertidal zone. That is basically the part of a shoreline which is um, underwater during high tide and um, exposed to air during low tide. And this is a highly dynamic ecosystem where you have a lot of animals that live right here. So you have from the smallest ones being snails and clams that people are familiar with. You have octopuses. You have um, nidarians like zoanthids. Um, Nidarians are the same group of animals in which jellyfish are. So you have zoanthids, you have coral, you have a lot of coral in Mumbai. This is something that no one really thought of, you know, earlier. But um, yeah, you have, you have all sorts of things. The smallest animal being like a few millimeters to the largest one being about a couple of feet large. And um, you find a lot of stuff here. So, yeah. It's amazing that there was no record in the public domain of the marine life of Mumbai earlier, before <laughs> before you all started. So, uh, what is the most amazing thing you have photographed on Mumbai shore, or what has been the most fascinating thing you've seen? Okay, so there there, there has been research done from the city. Uh, one of the the oldest and the senior most marine biologists in India. Dr. Chapgar was based out of Mumbai and uh, there has been work done, but all of that exists in scientific journals. What I meant when I said that there is no work in the public domain is that there is there was nothing that was accessible to the people. The people did not know. So if you if you ask anyone about the wildlife of the city, you know, the first thing people would talk about was Sanjay Gandhi National Park, which is great because here you have a city which is filled to the brim with people. And then you have a park right in the middle of it where leopards roam. You don't see this everywhere in the world, you know. But that's that's great. And you have a lot of wetland spots where you have a lot of wetland birds that come every every winter. You have uh, uh, like some spots where you can see um, a, a lot of wildlife in the city. But there is something that had been completely ignored all this while. And that was the marine life of it. Again, it's because... This is so unfamiliar uh, that not a lot of people thought that they should go out looking for marine life. So ever since I was a kid, I have lived in Juhu. Okay? Um, it's a suburb. It's, a, it's an area which is very close to the Juhu beach. That's a very famous beach in the city. And I had never thought that there would be marine life here. In fact, 
the first time I saw, I came across the Marine Life of Mumbai Instagram account, and then shared some photographs taken in Juhu. It was like there was there was disbelief. I know this can't be her because you know in Mumbai, in the last twenty odd years, there's been such a strong narrative around the pollution and the sewage, and the dirt, and the beaches are dirty. The beaches need clean up. And while all of that is true, but despite all the stress that the ecosystem is under, there is a thriving ecosystem right there, and that is what is the fascinating thing for me. That these are these are not ideal conditions. Okay, this is not um, a, a beautiful island in the Pacific where you walk on a very clean white beach and you happen to come across a coral reef or a coral. Here there are areas. So I don't know if you're familiar with it, but there is. We have a very old darga in the city called the Haji Ali Darga, and around the also it is around. It's a little bit into the sea, and there's a pathway that leads to the darga. But on either side of the pathway is a rocky shore, and on some days when the tide is low enough and you go there, uh, in fact, I have taken a video of this because I find it extremely fascinating. That you look down and you see corals. and you look up and you see the darga and you look in another direction you'll probably find a thousand people walking to and from the darga right. where else would you find something like this and it's all this while it's sort of being just hidden in plain sight so that's that that is the mind blowing part to me but uh, again you know i mean you you ask me what i find fascinating or what is something that i photographed that has been fascinating so if you would have asked me last year or before last year sorry i would have said that um i i happened to walk i was walking on one of the shores and i happened to walk by a shark which had which was in a tide pool okay it's oh, it's a tide pool in a tide pool yes it's okay it's not a large shark it's called the arabian carpet shark it's a species it's a smaller species of shark that is found in near shore waters but even then to walk and reach a place where there's a shark in the water it's you know it, it, it's it's not something that you you say every day it's not a sentence you would say every day but that was before last year last year when between between the lockdowns in the city uh, we happened to go to juhu beach again which is a very very crowded beach and just by the tide line there were these uh, there was a bunch of black grape like things okay this is something that that is seasonally found around this time in the city a lot of cuttlefish which are uh, similar to octopus octopuses and um, squids it's it's an animal they come and they lay eggs on the beach so if you if you if you happen to walk on the beach when the tide is low enough you can actually walk on just walk up to those eggs so last year a group of us happened to walk um, and we we saw these eggs and we waited there and there was this moment when i i i was taking pictures of the eggs and uh, i'm i'm looking down at it i'm shining a, a light on it and this tiny baby which has not even hatched yet looked back at me what a thing yeah. fantastic yes from within the egg i have a photograph of it I'm, I'm 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 not i'm not doing the sighting justice by talking about it but something in me sort of changed you know at that time and then a few minutes after that we saw some of them hatch 
and then when the tide came in they just went into the sea so again not a lot of ecosystems or not there aren't too many times when you get to witness something like this and when you do it sort of changes you in in, in some ways you know it's it's very it's a very personal thing it may it may not mean something to someone else but to me that is the most fascinating thing and the most amazing thing i've photographed and seen in the city that's the most amazing thing i've heard <laughs> you know it happened to somebody uh, on the shores of mumbai i mean uh, that's your reward i think you know <laughs> for being persistent and you know doing what you do to conserve the shores amazing really truly amazing you know it's amazing that uh, all of this marine life is existing and surviving and we can barely handle uh, bad air quality but uh, really it's uh, so uh, shanak is there a, a good time or a better season for spotting marine life um i think other than the monsoon months uh, once it starts raining there's no much point to go to mm. tide bowling because you won't see too much but other than that i think the shows are open throughout the year uh, there are, there are a lot of changes that happen seasonally there are some things that you only see in winters for example like the the cuttlefish eggs that i spoke about similarly there are squid eggs that happen during the winter months so those are seasonal other than that i think pretty much throughout the year you can easily go tide bowling and just see a bunch of animals but along with that you need to remember that the, the the shore a large part of the shore will open up only for a few days a month um so there are something called spring tides and neap tides neap tides essentially is a time um, of the month when the difference between the low tide and the high tide is very less so a large part of the shore will probably be underwater mm-hmm. and during spring tides the difference between the high tide and the low tide is much greater so that is uh, and for on, on on the days when there is a spring tide is when we go for tide pool so i think other than that uh, seasons don't really matter but uh, you need to have like a good tide any tide which is below maybe say 0.70 meters on your tide chart or the tide app that you may check is a good tide for mumbai okay. so what should actually check the tide chart and yes have a better idea okay great yeah. and what you know photographic um, equipment does one need for the tidal photography ah i'm so happy that you asked me this nothing your phone is enough um again see it depends on the kind of photographs that you want to take but we very regularly have participants on our shore walks who have just brought their phone and taken beautiful photographs um i am also increasingly taking more and more photos with my phone unless you want like a really macro photograph of a really tiny animal uh you will need like an slr with a micro lens but other than that a point and shoot camera your mobile phone is good enough and these days you even get macro lenses for your mobile phone you know the, the clip on ones so with that i think you can come out with really really great photos and videos so yeah i, I don't think you need much that's happening to here and you know who wants to really lug around stuff when you can uh, do it with so little yeah perfect for sure yeah i liked uh, you know exploring the interactive map on your ccf website with all the pop up photos and the information so what is the ccf team busy with these days yes uh, that was part of the confluence exhibit that we did with uh, uh, mumbai water narratives um, the whole idea was to do a virtual 
shore walk for people this happened during the lockdown so anyway we could not go out we could not see the shore so um, abhishek and saram who were part of this project decided to do like a virtual shore where all three types of ecosystems that we find in the intertidal were close to each other and you would find um, an like an illustrated map that was done by gorav and you click on the animal and there's more information about it along with the photograph so again the idea here was to familiarize people who either one are not in mumbai or at that time could not go to the show to see and um, probably learn more about the about about what this intertidal zone is about what type of marine life mumbai has and things of that and what we are busy with now so ccf essentially was started by a few members of the mlom collective and it was started to scale up mlom's work in a more and have like a more sustained impact so that is what we are working on right now the main focus areas for us are outreach research education and citizen science and within that we are taking the work that we've done as a collective that's marine life of mumbai and we're trying to scale it up to different cities we are scaling it up to different audiences we're constantly trying to 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 find new ways to get more people to appreciate and um, sort of becomes um, become ambassadors of of former in life that's yeah that's pretty much what we are doing i really enjoy the reading the water narrative projects about the old water fountains of mumbai i mean we've always seen it but ne- one never thinks of it uh yep. you know and also the the bishtis or the water as the water carriers were called uh in the, in a type in a time before we had pipes and we we so take tap water for granted so uh do you want to tell us about these two projects um, the coastwise marine festival and the inhabited sea sure yes so i'll start with inhabited sea it's a wonderful project that we i had an opportunity to to work with a great group of people what we were doing is essentially documenting mumbai's waters basically the the coastal areas and the and, and the sea in different ways there were different aspects there were some there were, there were um, architecture students there were architecture professors who were doing it from their perspective there was uh, nick there's nikhil anand whose project this actually was he's a professor at university of pennsylvania who was looking at the artisanal fishing that happens in in mumbai um sejal and i were representing marine life of mumbai and of course we were documenting the biodiversity bit of it so uh, it, it's all gone uh, all of our projects are on a website called inhabitedseas.org and uh, that that was that project and uh, coastwise yes so coastwise is uh, something that we came up the, we've done three uh, editions of the festival so far in the last 3 years and it's it's a uh, it's a festival that's co-organized by coastal conservation foundation um the mangrove foundation which is a foundation of the mangrove cell of the forest department of maharashtra and wwf india so the idea here was to to again create a festival that sort of familiarizes people with different marine ecosystem while our work at mlom is mostly to do with the intertidal zone as an extension of course there is marine life but um, here again there was this uh, the idea here was to do it at scale so we have a month long festival in february every year where we host different events so, uh, like there's an art workshop there's a photography workshop of course the theme of all of this is to do with marine life in some way 
uh, we also host an annual photo competition which is a marine photo competition for uh, photographers from across the country we also do flamingo boat rides we do mangrove walks we also do walks uh, at the fish landing centers in um, different cities so we started this uh, a couple of years ago and started just in mumbai and it's sort of grown we've had more states we've had um, uh, our partners in different states come and be partners in the festival and uh, we've had uh, fish exploration walks in chennai uh, we've had show walks in goa as part of the festival um this year unfortunately we've had to delay the festival because of the the, the current the third wave that's happening but um, hopefully at the end of the year we'll have the festival with even more states so that's that's what coast wise it there's so much uh, one can do and with uh, people from so many different fields coming together it's really interesting yeah i hope yeah. you get more people joining you next time and you know your website has a lot of resources as well right for those who are interested would you like to talk about that sure so on the marine life of webs uh, marine life of mumbai website we um, have a tight chart of course it needs to be updated for 2022 i'll do it soon um that sort of has uh, the low tides and the high tides for each month of the year so that people can plan their shore walks around it uh, we've also created small uh, guides for different shores in mumbai where it's it has illustrations and information about the the animal the most common animals that you ought to see on the shore so for anyone who wants to explore they can download them they can make use of them uh, we also have a lot of photographs that we have taken and under those photographs there's information about it about what the animal is where is it found what is what its habitat is um this is also something that we do on our uh, instagram and facebook accounts um we have a post every week about a different animal we talk about what makes it interesting where it's found what it, again what its habitat is what how big is it things like that so all of that can again be found on the website can also be found on our social media accounts and that's a part of the digital outreach that we do. yeah do you have any advice for say young or old citizens because i think you're never too old to learn uh, you know citizens who have never seen the marine life of mumbai just pick a day with a good low tide uh, there are a lot of apps today which tell you what the low tide is an hour before that time just go out on the shore whether it's juhu beach gurgaon chopati or it's kato road in bandra it's bandstand in bandra it's haji ali just go out and look down and all of this marine life is right there we do walks every month they can you can come join us we'll show you around we'll explain what you're, what you're what you're looking at again you know my my personal goal is to make tide pooling and this is also a, this is also some uh, what other people in the group want to do you know our, our goal is to make tide pooling like birding people wake up on a weekend and pick up the cameras or pick up the binoculars and go birding and we'd love to make tide pooling that you know it's an activity that you can do on your own it does not cost money you don't have to travel for it there are no tickets to be bought you literally just have to put on your shoes go out on a shore look down and you'll see amazing life and it's not limited to mumbai it's we we have a 7 and a half thousand kilometer coastline in the country and there's marine life everywhere so you know it's 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 one of those ecosystems that you don't really need guides for of course and there will be times when you don't really 
understand what you're looking at because here we have animals that look like plants and plants that look like animals. It's 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 a mixed <laughs> it's a mixed bag of things. But I think it's it's a great activity to do on your own. And I would I would request people to go out and uh, they can always uh, if they if they've seen something they don't know what it is they can send it to us. They can send it to me personally. I I'll help them ID what. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll explain what they're looking at. And yeah, I mean, just go out and go to the shore. Right. It's a whole different world you know, from what we're used to. Most of us are not used to it. You know, yeah. you know that's, actually, that's actually a reason why um, it's it's gone like this for so long. You know, it's not because there is no familiarity. Um, so, which is why as part of MLOM's uh, education pillar and now CCF's education pillar, what we're doing is also constantly going to schools and colleges and giving presentations to very young students. Because if you look at other, if you look at certain countries, like for example, Australia, there's a very strong beach culture in many of the cities there, mm. right? Uh, even, even in parts of the US, it's like that. Even in parts of the United Kingdom, it's like that. Which I mean, and you'll find it on a lot of Pacific Islands also. It's not limited to these developed countries. Here, we don't have that. Uh, for a very long time, even for me, Jew Beach would probably mean, I mean, I would associate Jew Beach with food. It's not the kind of association that you'd make with uh, with an ecosystem. So we really want kids to, to, to have a different mindset about it while they're growing up. So we take them on the shore, we show them all of this. We uh, we do presentations with a lot of photographs, with a lot of videos. We, we, we sort of want to pass on the message to them that there is something which is beyond our forests. I mean, I, I love my trips to the forest, but you know, you don't always get a chance to do that. You probably take one or two holidays a year. Most of us do at least. But here you have an opportunity to, even if you have an hour before your class or you have an hour or you have a half an hour and you're close to a beach, just walk down and you'll, you'll definitely see something. So that's 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 the idea that we want to sort of familiarize people with that you know this really exists and exists everywhere and we really want people from other cities to also have their own mlos and by mlos i mean i mean marine life off and their own city it's not something that we want to go there and create we want them to have that we'll of course help them we'll help them we we'll, we made we made some mistakes while in the last few years and we've learned a lot and we're ready to share all of that information with them but uh, I would. It would be nice if people, if, if groups or individuals or organizations, you know, came forward and uh, sort of want to create their own collectives in their own city. Right, and take ownership. You know, for what's theirs. It's there. It's their land. Their backyard. <laughs> that is exactly the reason why we don't want to do it. It's not our backyard. So while we may we may be able to do it, we really need a partner who is local, because that's how these things should be. Yeah. It's really great. Okay, Shavit, we're nearly uh, at the end of our conversation. But uh, before I let you go, could you share a word or two that's relevant for you and that will improve our seaworthiness? I think we should just start respecting the sea. There's there's a lot that's going wrong right now with, with our seas. We always... We always hear about the sea in a negative way. I mean, we hear about it more in a negative way than positive, whether it's it's climate change or that it's rising sea levels. There's a lot that's happening. Not, not a lot of it is easy to, to change or to alter or to reverse. 
but i think a good first step would be to just respect the sea because i think we are if the sea lets us be that's all i would say yeah thanks shanak that was poignant and relevant and really yeah. it's so interesting honestly thank you so much thank you it was a lovely lovely chat it was so much fun my god there's so much i didn't know seriously i hope you enjoyed listening to shanak as much as i have Do check out the Coastal Conservation Foundation links and the whole transcript for this podcast on my blog Earthy Matters. You can listen to Heart of Conservation on many platforms. You can also write to me at earthymatters zero one three at gmail dot com. I'm Lalita Krishnan signing off. Till next time, please stay as safe as possible and do subscribe for more episodes.